Thank you for joining us for Sport England's Club Natters podcast. This is the final part of the mini-series on creating inclusive environments and increasing participation within the LGBT community. Our host, Robin Cowan, is once again with Jamie Hooper from Sport England, Lou Englefield from Pride Sports and Tom Oliver from Living Sport. Last time, the panel discussed how to create an inclusive environment for physical activity, how organisations can support younger LGBT plus audiences and the experience of trans participants. This time, the panel discussed the importance of role models, the concerns sport organisations might have when trying to create an inclusive environment and where clubs can go to find support. Well, you touched on it a bit earlier, role models and just how important they are, whether it's, as you mentioned, Tom, just a, a coach or a superstar in a in their particular sports field. Just look at the research into that. There's just a lack of them, isn't there, simply? Um, this is something I think we find across all of LGBT plus um, life, I think, Um uh, it may be changing a little bit in terms of more mainstream stuff where we're starting to get easier access to people through things like social media. Um, particularly younger people are able to identify with certain people um, a lot earlier on. But um, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, a case across the board. Um, but again, I think that's balance for me. So um, uh, I'm sure Tom will be able to expand on a point he was saying about um, it's. everybody can has the potential to be a role model. It's not just looking at superstars. And the responsibility um, as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, sometimes those superstars might not be setting the best example <laughs> for some young people. They might be able to be identified with um, in terms of certain characteristics, but they might not be setting you down a path that's potentially the most helpful. Um, I know, Robin, you said that Alan Shearer was your role model growing up. That's right, yeah, because I didn't see any women footballers on the telly. Yeah, um, and really interesting. And I think now how that's changed over time, it's, it's easier to get access to people and you can find out what they're doing every second of the day. <laughs> yeah. um, you can really quickly build up, a, I guess, a relationship with someone and that... Um, in terms of what they're what they're doing for you, but I think everybody needs to look at um, their potential to be a role model, um, and those who are stepping up to be role models on a bigger stage, I think um, are, are amazing. Um, are doing some awesome stuff. Um, who are putting themselves out there, um, which can be really exposing at the same time as wanting to try and help people. Um, the other quick point I'd make on role models is that if you are a club that's attracting LGBT plus people along, don't necessarily use those people as being on a pedestal to set the strategic direction of everything you're then trying to do. Um, because uh, some people may just want to come along and take part in something. They may not want to be used as a sounding board for every decision you're then going to make around some of that stuff they might which could be great but don't necessarily assume that and also remember that guess what people are different and not all lgbt plus people are going to have the same experiences the same needs the same uh uh yeah, kind of a barriers and motivations um so again just think a little bit uh about this inclusion perspective um but yeah, I think there's there's some really interesting stuff in uh, this role model space. But I know Lou mentioned as part of um, the uh, Pride Youth Games, there was an exercise around role models and there was a real kind of um, uh, inconsistency in terms of the types of role models that were coming up. 
Yeah, I just think, you know, it was really interesting. Uh, Sports Media LGBT um, gave us some support over the weekend and ran some um, media workshops. And Chris said to me at the the end they'd had uh, 20 young people through the workshops on Saturday. And amongst those, um, the role models, those young people named, there was only one who was mentioned more than once. So basically 19 young people with 19 different role models in sport. And I think, you know, uh, we... I think there's there are two things. I think we use the word we slightly overuse the word role model, um, and when we mean role model, do we mean people who are kind of modelling a particular type of behaviour, or do we talk about, or are we actually talking about visibility on the pathway ahead of us? And that's one of the things that we're really missing. Um, in sport is the the visibility of people who are higher up the pathway so that we can understand yes I can be that great cricketer yes I can be that great footballer yeah I can be a football coach or a referee or a kickboxer or a baller. I can be all of those things because because you can't be it if you can't see it fundamentally, you know, and that's that's still a massive thing for um, our communities. Um, and then I think the other thing about role modelling is that Tom mentioned earlier on uh, Joe Root and Joe Root's challenge of um, homophobia recently. And if you look at the take-up of that and how viral that went, you know, probably Joe Root got far more attention for that than anything he was doing on the field that day, you know. And that's how in need we are of people to stand up and speak out in situations where people are being homophobic, biphobic, transphobic, queerphobic, you know. We need people to be role models and to be allies and to speak out about those issues. The nicest thing I liked about that was how natural it was. It was not a premeditated response. It was an instant reaction to somebody saying something and it came across so naturally that was just in his persona to just challenge something like that on the spot just to say, I don't like you using that language. That makes me uncomfortable. Can you stop doing it? And that was in a very public space, wasn't it? Mm. It wasn't just, you know, an aside. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's very easy with role models to think that because you're not famous or because you don't identify as LGBT, that, that you can't be a role model. And this is this becomes someone else's problem because you, you're neither famous nor LGBT. And, and, and that's completely incorrect. Um, anyone who works with people, be that in a sports environment, as we're talking about today, be that as a youth worker, be that as a teacher, be that as whatever, anyone who works with people has the opportunity to be a role model. And you might only be a role model to one or two people. However, you can have a massive impact on those lives by praising positive behaviours and by displaying positive behaviours whenever possible, as the Joe Root example we've just mentioned so clearly did. I'm just going to move on now to the concerns organisations may have. I think we've covered, actually, most of it, but have any of the panel got anything else they'd like to add in terms of what we could help clubs with specifically? Any specific concerns that you think maybe very specialist clubs may have in this area? But yeah, I think I think there's just something as well for um, for clubs around confidence and gaining the confidence of uh, local communities 
also having the confidence in themselves to do this work. So one of the things that I would recommend is reaching out to local organisations in your area, finding out what the the need is on the ground. Uh, Because, you know, if you look at, you know, just the the kind of difference between Jamie's experience talking about being a man in London and what that might be like for somebody in London. I live in a really rural area of the UK. I'm quite a bit older than Jamie, so my needs are going to be really different. Um, So one, not to homogenise our kind of communities. We are all different. Um, my my experience as a cisgender um, lesbian will be very different from my friend's experience as a trans woman. Um, you know, we you, you know uh, a, a heterosexual trans woman, for example. Um, so yeah, um, l- looking at differences, but also looking at your own locality and what you're dealing with in your area. And there are organisations, unfortunately, the LGBT plus sector is one of the most underfunded sectors in the UK. So we're all a bit stretched, but we're also generally super eager to make changes. Um, so. I think, you know, Tom's probably Tom's example of the work that he's done really, really highlights some good practice in terms of engaging local communities, working in partnership and then co-authoring solutions. So, you, you know, those are the kind of things that we should be looking at. Just out of interest, Tom, how open have these clubs been that you've helped Extremely open and um, every club or a lot of the clubs I've spoken to initially didn't think that they had a problem or they didn't think it was it didn't think it was applicable to them. They they were kind of look at it and go, oh, well, I am inclusive in my practice. And then the next question you go is, um, well, why or how? And they say, well, I don't do anything different. And that's almost implying that they're, they're not as inclusive as they could be. And then they'd come along to the training and you'd speak to the same person two and a half hours later and they would just say, wow, my my mind's blown at actually how, how much more I can do and how much better a coach I can be, which for a lot of people, that's that's what they're trying to do. And that's, that's the ambition they may have as a coach or as a club, it may be uh, to have more participants. They think, wow, we're, we're missing the opportunity to help so many people and then develop ourselves as a result. So um, I think my, my big feedback would be to do nothing is the worst thing you can do and actually give something a try if it doesn't work as we touched on earlier if it doesn't work then you can learn and you can um find out and improve it for the for the future but it's more it is worse to do nothing than it is to to try something out jamie yeah i guess my point would be kind of a a summary in terms of what both lou and tom have said around um I think there's probably a lot of people out there who either think they are really inclusive at the moment or those who might be wanting to potentially think about doing more in this space. Um, And to both of those, I would say um, just be brave, push yourself and get involved. Um, This is the future. Um, This is the way we're going. Um, So the the longer you wait to get involved, um, the quicker you're going to fall behind. So... I would say really try and educate yourselves through a number of ways um, and uh, Sport England themselves will be putting out a load more best practice in this space and a lot more support for people to make this much more practical 
and hands-on, but we've already seen how some local authorities, some active partnerships doing some really good work in this space. Um, if you want to find support out there, there's loads of it, um, but you may just have to do a little bit of work to find it potentially. Um, so I would say be brave, um, go forward and try and take some of this stuff on um, and don't be worried about making mistakes. It's all a journey um, related to, for, to sport and physical activity. How many times do you miss a shot? Do you not pass correctly? It's, it's exactly the same. Um, there are going to be some mistakes along the way, um, but there's a really interesting and exciting space here for people to explore new ways of providing sport and physical activity um, whilst also making it more inclusive to a whole new group of people and at the same time um, maybe even benefiting those people who are already participating. It's finding those solutions isn't it to these problems and and as you say Jamie actually not hiding behind sort of oh it's health and safety like how can we help with this Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in team sports, you talk about trying to create creative players or, or people that, that are able to express themselves whilst on the pitch, on the court, whatever you want to call it. And then we make everyone dress exactly the same. It it, it almost from the very beginning, you're stifling people's creativity if they're not of the traditional sporty gendered mould. Which So from the very beginning, if we can let people embrace themselves a little bit more from what they're wearing and then then already you're starting to allow people to be more creative and more comfortable and therefore probably they're going to be a better athlete or performer um, f- as a result. Um, I also think that it's a great opportunity for, for coaches and for, for people to show themselves off as inclusive. We mentioned earlier about can you wear some rainbow laces and it doesn't, you know, you still tie your shoes exactly the same. It doesn't, it, nothing happens to your shoes when you put rainbow shoelaces in but it's giving people an opportunity to see that, hey, this is a comfortable, safe space and I can be who I want to be because I know my coach understands me. And that's the same with changing facilities. That's the same with uh, dress code and swimming pools and wherever. It, it, it allows everyone else to feel more comfortable and happy as a result. I think those little visual symbols of inclusion are really important and that where you might not be able to wear laces, but you might be able to put laces in your hair somehow. You might be able to wear a pin badge you might be able to put a poster up there's loads of ways that you can show that that visual inclusion um yeah i think that's a that's a really good point tom i think it's also just important to point out that those visual symbols of inclusion need to come after the work has been done though because the the worst thing in the world would be if we had people putting up like rainbow stickers at their club and then you rock up and then you have quite a negative experience you know those those visual symbols are really really important in our community because we're an invisible minority but they must be an indicator that work has been done not a token gesture and that's all I you know want to add at that point we need to make sure that there's something underpinning the rainbow Definitely. And I guess that kind of um, pauses on to summarising some of those things. So that was some of the stuff I was going to come back to around the visual cues, the laces, the flags, the posters, the stuff we talked about, about around language, both positive and negative, around challenging your use of language in terms of the inclusion side of it. Can you use gender neutral pronouns? Can you start to strip out some of that traditional culture stuff, but also then be brave to challenge the negative behaviour stuff as well, the negative language be comfortable explaining to somebody that that might not be appropriate and um, almost kind of uh, sticking up for those minorities, even if you might not know that there are LGBT people there, 
um, it might be good just to challenge that to start to get people to think about the fact that um, uh, it's not great and that might make people feel uncomfortable whether you're LGBT plus or not. And I think that's a really important point. It's about whether we know people who are there are there or not. And recently, a series of pieces of research show that around 30% of participants conceal their identity when they're, when they're taking part in sport and physical activity. That means there's likely to be numbers amongst your sports club who are already LGBT+, plus, but you just don't know. So, um, so being inclusive is really, really important because your assumption will probably be that you're, everybody's heterosexual, everybody's cisgender, and that may not be the case. And that's not only for participants. That could be your workforce, your board members. It could be cleaners who are in the space that you're using. It could be... Um, volunteers or officials who are coming into that space um there's that's not only something to focus around participants that's a really important point to make that you might have uh volunteers who are running the club or who are uh delivering some of that training who might experience the club in a different way so not necessarily on the pitch but it might be in the staff room it might be in behind the bar if you're not addressing that behavior there it's likely to have as much of an impact as it is on the field as well so before we say goodbye can we point those who are listening to this in the direction of where they can find this help uh, so from a from a sporting perspective um there's massive amounts of stuff that's coming in this space um we are going to be publicizing uh, some of the insight that we've talked about today very soon um the transgender facility inclusion guidance will be coming out a little bit later in the year um and we're going to do another podcast just on transgender inclusion uh, which i sure i'm sure is going to be really interesting um there are also um reams of support available through some of the partners that we work with in this space um so uh, pride sports definitely gendered intelligence are another great organization that are um a trans specific organization that are doing lots more work in sport um stone will do a little bit of work in this space but um i would also really emphasize the point about trying to find local societies and groups to you um because they are more likely to be tuned into your local population um and will offer much more realistic experiences um that may be different um, in different areas of the country. And you can find out about those from um, a couple of websites. So first of all, the Pride Sports website, which is pridesports.org.uk. And we have a club map, which is in the process of being updated, which lists all the um, LGBT plus sports groups throughout the whole of the UK. So you can go on there, find your local sports group and talk to them maybe find out about some of the issues they're facing or find out about some of their positive experiences but any kind of co-working joint working um that's a great starting point the other place is lgbtconsortium.org.uk and the lgbt consortium has a directory on its website of local community groups across the whole of england so you can find out as tom gave some great examples earlier on you don't only have to work within sport you can work with community organizations as well and that that's a great resource in terms of finding your local lgbt organization youth groups older people's groups sports groups, any group you can think of um you know the 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 consortium's directory is a really good place to start 
we're, um, I was just going to say, we're also um, uh, working with them to make sure they're including more sport and physical activity as well. Um, there's a new app that's just come out that they're using in London particularly, um, which I think hopefully they'll they'll look to expand that a little bit more. Um, and just whilst I'm mentioning London, I was also just going to say about um, referencing out for sport as well. So if people are looking for provision specifically in London, there's massive amounts of information there on where you can you can find some stuff. Um, but I'm conscious that's very area specific, which is what we're trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, and I think absolutely therefore as a club, if you are aware of or at least know where to look for uh, one or two or three places that you can uh, refer your participants to then that's really important so in East Anglia we're very fortunate to be able to work with the Kite Trust who are the largest LGBT charity in the region um, and so therefore if a club was to come to us as the active partnership for Cambridgeshire and Peterborough we'd be able to put them that way and they run youth groups all across the county that people can then go and join in with and if you're a club and you are looking for something similar in your region then speak to your national governing body uh, speak to your active partnership or speak to your local or local authorities slash county councils. All of them should have um, an understanding. They may be involved with funding some of them, or they may have done bits with them previously, where you can then know two or three places that you can signpost people to. You don't need to know the exact times that they exist. You don't need to know every single bit about the back history, but it's a website that, or a Facebook page or a Twitter page or whatever that you can tell people to go and have a look at. Um, and that will kind of be the first step in them being able to seek better help or or help that that um that they're looking for i guess well that's it from this episode of club natters i hope you found it useful in helping your club achieving greater inclusivity my thanks to the panel jamie hooper lou englefield and tom oliver until next time goodbye